ball is rolling. Welcome to another episode of the Blues Brothers podcast, the show that discusses all things football and, of course, Chelsea FC, with questions, debates, discussions, deliberations created by the fans for the fans. Uh, boys, and we're all sorry, before I cast off, we're uh, also delighted to be joined by James Watson again for the second time. He's getting his second cap this afternoon. Um, we're delighted to have his thoughts as well. Um, but I'm afraid it's not positive news. We had a whole, um, we had our notes set up and everything ready to discuss the game against Leicester and, of course, the FA Cup game yesterday against Luton Town. And um, the phone went mental from about half past 11 onwards this morning, where we have been confirmed, well, it has been confirmed by Chelsea Football Club that Frank Lampard has been sacked by Chelsea Football Club with immediate effect. Um, and I just want to read a statement from the club before I get initial thoughts from Charlie and James themselves. And it reads as follows. We are grateful to Frank for what he has achieved in his time as head coach of the club. However, recent results and performances have not met the club's expectations, leaving the club mid-table without any clear path to sustained improvement. There can never be a good time to part ways with a club legend such as Frank, but after a lengthy deliberation and consideration, it was decided a change is needed now to give the club time to improve performances and results this season. Boys, obviously it's hard to express in just over an hour what, what's been going on in the past 24 hours or so, but I'll start with you, Charlie. Frank Lampard, he has finally, he's been sacked as Chelsea Football Club. You, I mean, where I'm lost for words today, mate. I'm struggling to get them out because uh, it's, it's a hard one to take, but uh, let's just get your initial thoughts on this bit of breaking news. Yeah, obviously... Um, not the news that I was expecting to, to hear this morning. Um, but I think I just what I will say is that um, I don't think any Chelsea fans wanted um, Frank Lampard to be sacked um, or were wanting the team to lose to fit that agenda. I think we all wanted it to work out for him. You know, one of our greatest ever players coming back to manage the club. You know, I think we're all sort of sold the dream that, you know, he's going to come in, we're going to win trophies with him. But in reality, unfortunately, it, it's not worked out. And I do feel that, rightly or wrongly, which we'll get into in more detail, I think the writing's been on the wall for a while now. Um, the results just haven't been good enough. Um, you know, I, I remember saying to you, George, a few episodes back where, where we were about one win in five, I'd said that, you know, he's going to be in trouble. If that goes to two wins in eight, two wins in 10, then I think he's going to get the sack. And, you know, that's now two wins in our last eight league matches and he's been sacked. Um, I don't think we can have too many complaints. If you look at what Chelsea have done under Roman Abramovich, um, you know, we notoriously sack managers at the first sign of any, any problems. Then you can't say that this decision has been a shock or a surprise. But those are my initial thoughts. Um, yeah, James, what about your initial thoughts, mate, before we go into a bit more detail? Well, first I'll say um, absolute pleasure to be back on the podcast, um, even if it is under these uh, circumstances. Um, but yeah, I'm. It's a difficult one because, as as you said, Charlie, like no no one wanted Frank to fail. We all wanted him to succeed. But above all, you know, um, I think the most important thing is the club. And right now, I didn't I didn't see enough progression from 
last season to this season in terms of the performances and certainly the results. I don't. I was having a, a, a chat with a friend earlier, and it was like, when was the last time I watched Chelsea? And I was like, wow, like there's something going on here. Like I can see a real like like all the players clicking. You know, almost like in the early days of Pep and Guardiola, while they were still figuring out, they still had games here and there where all the front players would click or whatever. And yeah, they would have defensive problems and stuff they needed to sort out. But there was definitely an identity or style that was obvious. And I think in the last what eight games we've had five defeats or so it's like it hasn't been a clear identity or 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 star and I think a lot of players have lacked confidence and while yes we could have let him have more time what would have happened really like we might have probably just sat him at the end of the season Uh, you know I don't I don't really know what else we could have done knowing what Abramovich is like he was never going to give Frank a different treatment to to the other managers before and I think while you know it's sad it's inevitable and I think we just got to move on like you know once we start winning again people will forget about this I was sad the first time Jose went I was absolutely livid at Abramovich and stuff like that but we got over it and we won titles with Ancelotti Conte whatever and now look at Mourinho he's no one loves him as a fan I know that won't happen with Lampard but I think we'll it's a tough day but we'll we'll move on and whether it's with Tuchel or someone else um I mean it's looking like Tuchel at the moment but you know, as as you say, might get sacked, you know, in a year or two, you know, we'll win things. And to me, that's the most important thing. Yeah, I mean, if my initial thoughts were probably not so much shocked at what's happened, but more the timing of it. I mean, going from listening to his post-match press conference, he, he I don't think he saw it coming at this particular point in time. Uh, the, the disappointment comes probably, you know, on the back of a win, you'd probably want Frank Lampard to at least have one Premier League game. I think if, you know, the writing's on the wall, if we didn't get anything but three points against Wolves um, in the upcoming game. But I, ju- I just, the issue I have with this, boys, is the the whole the image of Chelsea Football Club and how that I think this was a, going to be a change in terms of our philosophy going forward in terms of, of management. You know, I think going, you know, Charlie and I spoke uh, in great length uh, off air this morning about this whole Chelsea hiring and firing staff. We've been doing it ever since Roman Branovich took over. And we met, we actually made a casing point, probably the, the most, you know, Dimatteo winning the Champions League in 2012 got less than a couple of months into his, his next season and he was gone. So no one gets that that given right, regardless of whether they're a legend of the club or not. The issue I have is this whole, I think they've just let the, the football club and the fans down by doing what they've done because they've had they had an opportunity at the point when we had a transfer ban to hire someone with experience. Now, who that, who that person is, I don't know, but there's certainly more managers with experience out there that aren't Frank Lampard that they could have gone for. And they seem to, when they hired him, they seem to have put out a statement that they were building for the future and this was going to be a legacy and, you know, Frank Lampard's got almost a free hit. We're going to approach this differently due to the circumstances that he didn't have the transfer. We lost our most influential player in Eden Hazard. And yet, you know, into his first full season where he's been given financial backing, uh, a poor run of results that stretched from pretty much the back end of November, beginning of December on to now. And he's been given the axe. Um, So from a personal viewpoint, I'm... I'm quite angry at the football club, to be honest with you. I think it's a bit of, I think it's disrespectful um, to Frank. And I just think it's a, it's just not sustainable what we're doing. 
you can't keep hiring. A, I don't know what they expected. I don't know what Chelsea fans expect. Um, obviously, the results haven't been good enough. We know that. But at the same time, are we the Chelsea football club that we once were at the start of the Abramovich era? Are we a side that are competing at the very top with Manchester City and Liverpool currently? No. I mean, even the Leicester game, I know it was poor boys, but were we really expecting to win that game considering how good Leicester, their, their run's been and how good they are? I don't know. It's questionable. And I look at the games that we've lost, you know, Wolves away, Everton away, Liverpool at home, City at home. These are all games that really in, in seasons we probably could lose anyway. Still in the FA Cup, still doing well in the Champions League. He actually had one of the best records in the Champions League group stage. Um, so, boys, where do you think where do you think it's all gone wrong? Charlie, I'll come to you first. I mean, what, what do you think Frank Lampard's thinking at this current moment? Do you think he's gone home with regrets about how you know maybe recruitment or how he's approached games I mean I know you've got a very um hot point on terms of his tactical nous and how he's missing some of that is this something that he regrets or do you think that Chelsea simply had to push the button at this point in the season I think it's a difficult balance to get right, you know. Um, in terms of Frank, will he have regrets? Um, I don't know if he'll have any regrets. I'm sure he'll look back in time and think, oh, do you know what? Perhaps if I'd done this a bit better, I might have got more out of X player or Y player. But, you know, I think he doesn't look back and I don't think he will have any regrets. He'll be grateful for the opportunity and the experience it's given him and it will make him a better manager going forward. Um, just a touch, obviously, on where I think it went wrong. To start with, obviously, his Premier League record for us, 57 games, 28 wins, 11 draws and the 18 losses. Now, you know, he's not been there for that many games, 57 league games, not long at all. And you think, well, it's not a dreadful record, but it's it's not great either. Um, you know, the first season he comes in, I think free hit, you know, transfer ban, as you've said, Eden Hazard gone sort of had to rebuild with a lot of the academy lads. Um, and I think what massively helped us that, that first season was the fact we had that continuity. Because we didn't have the options in the squad um, due to the ban, we pretty much played the same team week in, week out. And that works really well for us. I think, you know, the guys from the academy that did well that year, like Mason Mount, Tamori played well that year, Tammy Abraham, etc. These are guys that would have looked up and idolised Lampard. And it's a lot easier for him to get a tune out of those players because they adore him. Um, and I think what's happened is the big spend in the summer, which we know was coming, you know, we bought Chilwell, Mendy, uh, Thiago Silva, Werner, Zayech, Havertz, etc. A lot of money spent, 226 million. And with that money comes elevated expectation. And he'll be no stranger to that. He knows the club inside out. He knows that the pressure was on, but I think it's almost been his biggest downfall because we had a sustained lineup last season and now these players came in and we've ripped out five or six of the starting 11 and we're basically starting again. So we're not we're not carrying on from last season. It's almost like a new start, like new team, etc. And I think, you know, what's ultimately cost him his job is the fact that he's not been able to get enough out of Werner and Havertz, the two big money signings. And I were they his signings? Were they the board signings? I, I, I don't know. But ultimately, you know, it's a two big investments and they've both been shocking is, is, the, only, is the, only way I can, the only way I can put it. 
And James, in terms of where the players stand now then, because of course, Frank Lampard, especially in the first season, obviously had no choice but to play the, the academy players, the youth team players. I mean, for the likes of Mason Mount, he was given his his captaincy for the first time after being you know, in the academy since he was eight years of age. Where where does this leave those those types of players? You know the the Tammy Abrams, the the Mason Mounts, the the Reese Jameses of of Chelsea Football Club, because no doubt that they're going to be disappointed and quite hurt by this as well. Um, where where do you think that where do you think their future lies in the club as well? Not just you know Frank Lampard departing. What about them starting and and going forward? Yeah, I think I think to be honest. My, in my mind, maybe this is a bit naive or or, or, or whatever, but I, I think if you're good enough to play for a club, no manager is going to come in and sort of automatically be like, you're too young, you're not going to play, um, or I don't trust you, or whatever. If Tuchel thinks Reese James, Mason Mount, Tammy, all these players are good enough to play, they will play. I don't think they have to be worried about who the manager is necessarily. Like Maybe, maybe if they don't play, that's more a reflection on whether they're actually good enough. I think Reese James is definitely good enough. I think Mason Mount is good enough. Um, I think Hudson Odoi is good enough. But I'm I'm a bit unsure, for example, on someone like Tammy Abraham. I don't know whether he he's quite young still, obviously at the moment. Um, but I don't know whether he's the future striker of of Chelsea. He did well last season and then tailed off. Um, but a few times in the big games, he hasn't really performed. And I don't know whether you know he's going to reach the heights of someone like a Harry Kane or an Aguero or someone like that, like a top top Premier League striker. So I do. I'm, I'm not. I'm not completely pessimistic on that. I think, it, as I said, if if the players are good enough, they'll play. Um, you look at other clubs like Bayern Munich. You know, Alfonso Davies. He's young. Um, you know, they have no question about putting him on the starting eleven. You know, every week. It does. It does. Age is not necessarily a factor. Or, or if you're an academy graduate or whatever, Tuchel isn't going to come in and say, "I'm not playing any of the academy graduates. I'm just going to play." You know, those who have had. A certain amount of experience or whatever, he'll play who he thinks are the best players. So on that sense, I'm not too worried. I think what Frank Lampard did do really well is he 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 lifted up a lot of players who didn't who maybe wouldn't have got a chance. And that's where I would be a tiny bit worried. Maybe Tuchel won't take more players from the academy and lift them up. And the players already in the academy now are the ones I'm worried for rather than the ones who are in the first team setup. A lot of them internationals, a lot of them um you know, played a number of Premier League games already. It's those who haven't done that who might now be thinking, oh, my future lies elsewhere because is the manager really going to give me a chance? So that's where I'd be worried. Um, and I think that's what Frank Lampard did well and Tuchel, you know, we'll, we'll probably see that a bit differently, I'm sure. And I think probably what, you know, when it comes to Roman Abramovich, he certainly likes his star signings um, as such to shine when he appoints a manager. I mean, we saw it with him trying to get a tune out of Shevchenko. And I don't know if those were, were true, those allegations that he encouraged Mourinho to start both Balak and Shevchenko, which kind of caused that that feud above. But it seems to be very similar that the reason why um, they're going for Thomas Tuchel, who, uh, well, appears to be imminent and it will be confirmed in the, in the coming days, comes in with a good pedigree and a CV, um, but also a, a German-speaking manager as well. And I wonder if Roman Abramovich is is kind of thinking that he's brought him in specifically to get the best out of Kai Havertz and Timo Werner. Probably the two players that really haven't managed to reach the heights that all Chelsea fans and probably Frank Lampard actually expected, I think. Which brings me on to my my question to you boys, really, that do you think the players have to take some responsibility in, in the outcome of what's happened today? Because 
I've said on uh, numerous podcasts about the impact a manager has in terms of his influence. And I think sometimes it's a bit overhyped and that actually players, you know, you can coach a player as much as you like, but at the end of the day, when they cross that white line, tactic, tactics are almost a, they're, well, they're just not as important. I think they, they, they go, they are, they play their part to a certain degree, but at the end of the day, it's 11 against 11. And we saw it, you know, Timo Werner again, again, you know, he couldn't even score against League One opposition. He, he's he been given numerous chances up front. He's been playing out wide. He's been given starts. He's been given penalties just to get off the mark and he can't do it. So do the players, I mean, I spoke to Charlie this morning about Ben Chilwell and the lack of impact he's had, even though he's looked fairly comfortable. There's a difference between being comfortable and settling in and actually having an impact on the team. So, Charlie, I'll start with you. Do you think the players need to take responsibility in this and actually have a, a look at themselves in the dressing room going forwards with the new appointment of uh, Thomas Tuchel to come? I think it's a difficult balance, you know. I think it's equal responsibility. Yes, as a player, it's your responsibility to go out there on the pitch and perform. But on the flip side, you know, you've got to be prepared properly and you've got to know what you're doing when you go out on the pitch. You know, I think that's, an, for me personally, that's another big area where Lampard massively let himself down. I mean, I don't know if you boys can tell me, but in recent weeks, I've got, every time we step on the pitch, I've got no idea what our identity is, what our tactics are. And I don't think the players know what's expected of them, what they're supposed to do, what their jobs are. You know, Leicester game, prime example. No no one had a clue what they were doing. Like everyone's just bombing forward. It's like a school match, you know? Everyone's going forward. Reese James is miles forward. He's overcommitted himself. And then they're straight in and they score. So I think, you know, it's it's a bit of both. I think perhaps we lack that experience on the pitch for someone to say, guys, what are you doing? Why are you constantly bombing forward? Look, stay back, hold position, etc. Go like one of you go and one stay and then and, and kind of alternate. So I think a lack of identity for me was a was a big issue. Um you know, I don't think you could say, you look at teams of the past, you know, like that lesser team that won the league, clear identity, counter-attack, get it to Vardy. Look at Man United this year, you know, clear identity, City's identity, you know what that is. The same with um, with Liverpool over the last couple of years, you know exactly what their identity is. I don't think you could sit and say what Chelsea's identity is, which is a little bit concerning. And as I said, the poor tactics for me, is is a is a is a big has been a big problem, you know. Like we're just four three three. It doesn't matter. I said it so many times. It doesn't matter what game it is, what the scenario is. We could be losing five nil, four three three. Like for like changes, that doesn't matter. So I think that's that's been a big problem. Whether it's naivety or whether it's actually not knowing what options to go for, I don't know. But what I will say is that obviously in regards to Havertz and Werner, I don't think as fans we were expecting them to come in and just hit it all guns blazing. But I think we were expecting it to be a little bit better than this. And the fact that Lampard's not been able to get anything out of them. Yes, OK, Lampard can't make them score the chances, but he can man-manage them, give them the confidence to do well. I think repeatedly playing Werner out wide when he was literally doing nothing in games, hooking him off at half-time, was just putting his confidence through the floor. I think someone with a bit more experience and better man-management would have dealt with the situation differently. And perhaps we wouldn't be having Havertz and Werner in this poor run of form with perhaps a more experienced manager. But to answer your question, George, I think 
it's kind of equal. I reckon it's equal blame. The players have got to take responsibility for not performing, but the management have got to take responsibility for not having clear tactics, a clear identity, and people not knowing what their roles are on the pitch. So, James, if I put it to you this way, then to bring you into the, this debate, if you're Roman Abramovich right now, do you do you agree with with the actions that have been taken, or or would you have done differently uh, given the circumstances? I mean, would you have given him? to the end of the season? Would you have given him a kind of three to five game countdown in the league? What what would you have done? Because from my personal viewpoint, I see this as in, incredibly harsh. And I think, you know, for a, a manager that we knew when hiring him had no experience, I don't understand why Chelsea then backed him financially this season to then only give him five, six months to, to change a team that in reality is made of a lot of individuals that are young and are going to make mistakes. And it's part of the learning process. And he alluded to that numerous times I think there was a one of the I think it was the press conference after possibly the Arsenal game where he kind of said you know anyone who thinks we're title challengers is is deluded because you know this is this is a working progress and this is going to take years this is this is a new t- we're in transition for the first time probably in the Abramovich era so do you agree with with what Roman's done today or would you have given him longer time I just want your views on whether you think this is equally share my thoughts on this being hard um yeah, I, I think there is definitely an element of it being harsh. I mean, I, with everything, you know, with COVID and, and all that and not really having a proper pre-season and then some players getting injured like Ziyech and Havertz getting COVID, Pulisic, all these all these guys, you know, just in and out of the team. So I definitely, one one side of me thinks it's, it's harsh, but maybe that's the side of me that's more sort of sentimental towards Lampard and his connection to the club. If I'm looking at, at it, objectively and and without bias I do think it's the right decision because I think for example um, I know you said earlier you know tactics and managers might might be overrated and I think there is definitely an argument to be made for that but our defensive record under Lampard was so 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 poor I think we conceded the most away goals um, for any team apart from Newcastle and 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 last season and even in parts this season um, especially recently, our defence has just looked all over the place. And even though we had a little bounce when Mendy came in and we went on a, on a good run of clean sheets and stuff, I think our defence still looks shaky. And I know there's the there's the argument to be made that you know these some of these players are young and 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 inexperienced or whatever. But Lampard did say that once he got new personnel in, things would start to change. And so you know Mendy came in, Thiago Silva came in, Chilwell, whatever. And again, despite that little bounce when we had the clean sheets, there hasn't really been much change in the defence. And we've looked pretty weak and um, a bit all over the place in the last few games. And so, yeah, I think there is tactical naivety from, from Lampard. And I think, I think he needs to go away and, 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 and learn and get more experience. And I think it is the right decision from Abramovich because also there's a few players out there on the pitch who aren't young. There's, you know, Thiago Silva, there's Kante, there's Ziyech. And you can't wait two or three years for a Lampard, for, you know, a manager like Lampard to come good. You know, Kante will be over 30 by then. Ziyech will be, you know, 30 or whatever. We got Thiago Silva probably for one season. And you want to see the best of these players. You want to see them in their peak. And all the other young players, you know, have played. It's like Rashford. Rashford is young in age, but in terms of experience, he's got a lot more experience than almost anyone else. I mean, the amount of Premier League games he's played, it's the same with Ben Chilwell, you know, young defender, but he's had, uh, you know, a couple of seasons at Leicester and and already, you know, half a season at Chelsea. These 
These guys are young, but in terms of their actual stats on how many games they played, they're not that young. And I think, you know, Mourinho was someone who points that out with Rashford in that in that way. And I think also, you know, there's going to be players who 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 are top players who will play well no matter what. Like I think of, you know, Bruno Fernandes, even when United went through the dip, he was always playing well. But not every player is going to be like that. And I think you do need a manager to bring up the confidence, lift the confidence up for some players like Havertz and Werner and stuff like that and sort of have that man of management to him. And, and I'm not saying Lampard didn't, but maybe it isn't as good as some of the other managers out there like Pep, like Klopp, who have gone through this throughout their managerial career and know how to sort of bed in players. I mean, there is also the aspect that maybe we bought too many players at once and maybe it was too hard for Lampard to fit them all in in one season. And maybe that was a bit of a mistake on only his part, but but the boards and maybe we should have tried to sign three or four this season, three or four next season and, and done it a, a tiny bit slower. Yeah, I mean, listen, listen, I just, yeah, it, I completely agree with a lot of those points. You know, I think it's just, I just find it totally unrealistic how a board can, yeah, okay, the financial backing, it is big. You expect, you expect more. Um, and Frank knows as, as well as anyone, you know, once you have that pressure and you, and you spend that kind of money, you do need to deliver on a certain basis. But I think we, we forget that a lot of managers that have been and gone at, at Chelsea Football Club have inherited much better squads of international superstars, winners of all competitions. You know, Frank's first year in charge, he was given a transfer ban, had to play academy players and lost the most influential player that at the time was probably the best player in the Premier League at the time, um, bar Kevin De Bruyne maybe. You know, and then in his second season, he's been given the financial backing and I just think it's totally unrealistic. You know, even when we talk about, we talk about Timo Werner and Kai Havertz like they are superstars. Now, yeah, granted, they've got, they have got great potential, but these, these guys, you know, they haven't, they haven't won anything substantial. They're not, they're not players like Michael Balak, Andrei Shevchenko, where you expect instant success. These are players that are coming into a new country, you know, very, very young. And I just don't think it's enough time. I mean, Charlie, we we I want to bring you into this in terms of where Frank goes from here because do you think this is just something that is completely unique to Chelsea in this hiring and firing policy? They do something very similar at, at Watford Football Club, actually, that I've got a good friend who's a Watford supporter. They tend to have managers, you know, in and out the door almost three, four times a season. Now, if we look back at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, for example, top of the Premier League with Manchester United, six weeks ago, his head was on the chopping block. You've got Arteta sat in 11th position with Arsenal, just got knocked out of the FA Cup. Um, you know, Manchester United got knocked out of the Champions League as well. Klopp in his first two seasons at Liverpool didn't really get anything going there. Yes, OK, their league position wasn't as bad, but uh, they certainly weren't, you know, title contenders or anything like that. And even Pep Guardiola in his first season at Manchester City spent a lot of money and didn't win the league, didn't win anything in his first year. So why Frank Lampard? Why has Frank Lampard been sacked, but these managers have been given the benefit of the doubt? Can you can you elaborate? And what is next for Frank Lampard in terms of his management career? Look, I think the reason why he's been sacked and the others haven't is because Chelsea run a completely different model as a football club to Arsenal or Manchester United or Liverpool, for that matter. You know, traditionally, United employ managers for a long for at least two to three years. I know they sacked Moyes after eight months. That was a bit of an anomaly to it. But you look at it, Ferguson got obviously was there for years. Um, Mourinho was there two to three years. Van Gaal was the same. You know, they give managers more time. That's just part of 
that's just the club model and the same and the same with Arsenal. I think with Chelsea, we'd be kidding ourselves as fans, and Lampard would be kidding himself as well if he honestly thought that he was going to get sort of his whole contract to to try and implement a project because that's just not what we do as a football club. Whether you agree with that model or not, that is that is the model. So that is why that's why it's happened. And in terms of why, you know, you say, oh, Klopp first two seasons at Liverpool didn't do much, but as a manager himself, he's earned the right to have that time because of what he's done. He's won things at Dortmund. He's taken them to Champions League finals, won Bundesliga. And the big difference was, for me, is the fact that he, that each season with Klopp, there, there was a noticeable improvement in the team and in the league position and going forward, making improvements. And, I'm, and, I, and I hate to say it, but with the money we spent, this season has been a shambles, you know? We haven't, you know, thought... It, 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 yes, it, it, in terms of the league, yes, it has been. And I'll, I'll explain why, because, you know, we come fourth last year, probably overachieved with that group of players, for sure. But... With that investment, as I said, comes added pressure. I'm not saying, you know, we sign these players and we automatically go and win the league. But what I am saying is, is that you expect to see an improvement on last season. And the, and the cold, hard facts are we haven't improved. If I said to either of you boys, with the, with the signings we made in the summer, halfway through the season, after 19 league games, I'm telling you that we would be 10th in the table. We'd be mad. We'd be fuming. And the fact of the matter is, no matter doesn't matter that it's Lampard, we are 10th in the table. That is not good enough. We're in danger of missing out on the Champions League, on European football. So I'm not, I can't sit here and say that I'm surprised, you know. It's not been good enough in, in, in reality. James, do you, do you agree with the model that Chelsea Football Club have? Because, I mean, we can't doubt the fact that every time we, we tend to do this, we do tend to actually go on and win a trophy. It's almost, a, I think on average, it is almost a trophy a season. And we've seen it countless times when we've been angry at hiring and firing of managers. Do you agree with this model? Or do you think that Chelsea do need to change their approach and actually the next manager that comes in, be it the next one, which is, could well, it's almost certain to be Thomas Tuchel, whether he should be given over this this time period that Chelsea just can't seem to get over. We cannot seem to have a manager for longer than three seasons. Yeah, for me, it's not really a question of like whether I agree or disagree. I think I've just come to a stage, uh, you know, a few years back to where I've just accepted it and sort of now I don't get overly emotional or sentimental about uh, a manager leaving. You know, I just tend to be like, right, this is, this is the way it is. You can't, I de- you can't allow yourself to be too shocked or surprised or you'll just, you know, set yourself up for, for disappointment. Um, and I think even though they did sort of, you know, kind of go in with the Lampard thing, you know, or maybe this is time for a legacy to build something or whatever, there was no doubt in my mind that if things started going badly, this this would happen. So I'm not shocked or surprised. And I think, again, while I may not think that it, if I owned a football club, it may not be the way I run it, but... I do think football is ruthless and sometimes you do need to be ruthless. Um, and if that means it brings success, then great for, for a lot of fans out there, there's a, you know, there's people who say, Oh, I, I want a connection to the club. I want, you know, to bring Academy graduates and whatever. But for me, it's about winning. You know, I look at someone like, you know, a team like United who hasn't won the league for eight years. And I do not want to go the next eight years of my life, not having won a league. I want to win the league and, Maybe that's impatience or something, but you know you only have a certain time, uh, you know, on this on on this planet. And I want to see Chelsea win as much as, uh, as they can in that time. 
Um, you know, some of the best times I've had as a supporter is when we've won the Champions League, when we've won the Premier League and all that. My t- my best times haven't been, you know, necessarily watching an academy graduate coming on, on, on the pitch. Yes, it's a bonus and I love to see it, but my number one priority is is winning trophies. And I think Abramovich is the same um, because he's obviously not in it for the money. Um, you know, he doesn't get any money out of the club. Um, so, you know, his, his, his number one motivation must be trophies as well. And I think his relentless desire to get to that and is, and is, is in part why he is so ruthless. And I think other clubs out there like United, like um, Arsenal, could actually probably be better for it if they were a bit more ruthless. I think Wenger was way past his, you know, his, his sort of sell-by date with them. And I think Solskjaer, while he's doing well at the moment, I think they, I don't think he's a very good manager on a base level. I think Bruno, Bruno Fernandes has sort of masked a lot of his managerial sort of um, talents. And I think they, in the coming years, will 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 sort of, regret not sacking Solskjaer and getting in someone like Pochettino um so while yeah it's it's sad and I would love I would love to see a legacy built if it was but only if it's with the right manager and if he's good enough you know Liverpool and and City have been with Pep and Klopp for a number of years now but that's because they've been good enough and they've won stuff and they've played really good football and you know other clubs around Europe as well Bayern Munich they changed their managers uh Juventus Madrid Barca i you know, I don't necessarily see a problem with it. And, and and as we've all agreed, we all wanted Lampard to succeed and be here for the next 10 years, but it's not realistic. There's only, you know, three or four or five managers in the world in the past 20 years who could ever have done that. And, you know, that's Jose, Pep, Klopp. You know, those are the top, top managers. And to be a top, top manager is, is really difficult. And only those top managers can be the ones that, you know, build a legacy because every season they do really well and other managers, unfortunately, don't. Yeah, just one last thing on that club model thing. I don't think you can argue with it. You know, we've had 15 managers in the 16-odd years he's been here or whatever it is, and we've won 16 trophies. So whether you think it's right or wrong, it brings us, it's brought us the trophies. And as fans, that's what you want. You know, the days out, winning trophies, celebrating that. So I don't think you can argue with it. Yeah, well, I am going to argue with it because I just think, yeah, I don't know. I think I wanted to change. I mean, maybe it's just being, like you said, maybe it's just having your head in the clouds slightly and wanting a, a perfect scenario where Chelsea build for the future and we have a manager like Sir Alex was for United where he's there for decades and he builds something from the ground up. Um Yes, probably unrealistic in these modern times because it's a very results-based business and there's there's little loyalty left in the game in terms of that sentimental value that we've been discussing um, in terms of Frank Lampard. I mean, you don't get any extra time just because of what you've done at the club. Um, there just seems to be a bitter taste in the mouth with this one, um, from, my, from my point of view, just at how, you know, Chelsea have gone, gone with it. You know, there was a statement that came out a couple of weeks ago saying, look, they're going to give him to the end of the season. We're not looking to fire him. And then lo and behold, they were actually already recruiting because this was, this was well in advance at that stage. So, you know, it's not the first time that board members and stuff have just lied blatantly to the press, but it's just, I don't know. I just think fans deserve a bit of respect in terms of, you know, what's going on at their football club. Uh, and even Frank does and, and how they've even dealt with it today. I mean, the fact the press got hold of it before Frank Lampard was informed that he was getting the sack is, is, is very distasteful if you ask me. Um, and to say that they've dealt with it in the right manner, 
um, you know, by kind of telling the players not to come into training. Frank Lampard turning up and then probably scrolling through his phone to find out he's he's under the chopping block before he's even been called in is it's it's just so disrespectful to someone who's given so much to the club as a player. Um, and yeah, I'm just it's it is it's probably I think you're both right in the sense that it's probably more sad because of the fact that it is Frank Lampard. I think if it was another man, I mean, if we were talking about Abraham Grant right now and we were sitting ninth or tenth, I think we probably would have said, "Can we get him out as soon as possible?" Because we don't have that affiliation with him like we did with some managers that kind of just lit up the scene. Another one that I really liked was Conte, the way he kind of reacted with the fans and he was very. Um, you know, very emotional, um, very animated on the touchline, really seemed to kind of wear his heart on his sleeve. And Frank Lampard was very similar. But I mean, where we move on now to obviously the new appointment of Thomas Tuchel, who it should be imminent in the coming days of his appointment. Thinking about going forward then, boys, is he the right appointment for the job? I mean, he comes in with a very good CV. Um is he going to be able to get the best out of these players? And what are our expectations now going forward that this change is now in place? I'll start with you, Charlie, on this one. Look, I think he's a, obviously a, a top manager. You know, he's got an impressive CV. He's done well at Borussia Dortmund. He's done well at Paris Saint-Germain, got into their first Champions League final last season. Um, and he's got a very good reputation in Germany. Um is he the right man? I think if you look at what's available, um, Allegri, you know, he's apparently weighing up his options for other clubs, didn't really want it. Um, Nagelsmann, I see, was mentioned, but we couldn't get him till the summer. And obviously the board wanted to act now. So I think it kind of only really left us with Tuchel. But I think he's a very good tactical coach. I think he improves players. He, you know, he's tactically, as I just, as I said, he's very switched on. So I think that, that could bode well for us. And I think a massive thing, for the board as well was the fact that he speaks German. Um, I think this is an appointment with in mind trying to get a lot more out of Havertz and Werner. I think that is a that's a big thing for him in terms of his what his remit is for the rest of the season. Um, I'm I'm honestly not too sure. I mean, I don't know if if it's to come in the top four. If it's just you know just do your thing and you know we finish where we finish and and we and we and we go again next season. I'm I'm not really sure. I mean, obviously, we want to finish as high up the table as possible. But in terms of what they're expecting from him, they'd obviously be expecting results to improve. But in terms of finishing position or trophies, I, 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 I'm not too sure. Um, but before I go any further into like you know what he what he's got to do and you know the big questions he's got to answer, I just wanted to ask you, James, what do you think? What do you think the remit is for Tuchel for for the rest of the season? Um. It's difficult to say, really. Um, I think, obviously, the reason we sat Lampard is because we're, 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 well, we're not way off top four. We're five points behind Liverpool, but we're definitely far behind, you know, United and City and, and, and Leicester. Um, and I think, I think his, 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 his sort of priorities this season are going to be to get top four, obviously to try and get something out of the Champions League run. I think that probably factored in a bit to the decision to sack Frank Lampard in that they thought, right, we've got Atletico in the next round. We've got a good team on on paper. We've got a good squad. At the moment, are we going to win with him as manager? And I think with Tuchel, you know, that's going to be one of his main objectives is to get through uh, that round against Atletico, although they're looking quite good at the moment. So that's going to be tough. Um, And then obviously, you know, the FA Cup run is another one which um, I think we have a good chance of going far in. So, 
I think just like any manager, really, just win games and um, see see how far we can get out of the table uh, by the end of the season. Um, I think, yeah, that's really all you can hope for when you come in midway. You know, he's not going to be told, oh, you've got to win the league or something like that, you know, when, we, when we've only got 19 games left. Um, but he'll be definitely, I think, told, you know, let's try and see how far we can get in the Champions League and let's see if we can get back into the top four because I think we really do need to get much, much closer to the top four. If we, you know, there's there's rumours flying around, you know, that we want to buy Haaland and all these players in the summer and and whatever because we've got a financial edge over other teams who are suffering from COVID and we're going to try and use this chance to, to pounce. Um, and I think if we want players like that, whether it's Haaland or someone else, we need to get Champions League. Um, and it'd be a shame not to see the players who we currently have in the Champions League next season. I don't want to see them playing, you know, Europa. I want to see them against the best. I want to see, you know, Ziyech, Havertz, Werner, you know, see how they perform against, you know, Madrid, Munich and all that kind of lot. And I think that'll be his main task towards the end of the season. Still sounds mad when you were speaking there saying that we're five points off Liverpool and yet we've just sacked our manager. To me, it just doesn't sit right. I still don't think that Frank Lampard had enough time to 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 turn this around. I think it was more of the timing of it, the fact that we've just come on the back of a win just seems very, very odd. Obviously, probably because they already had this emotion that they had to act because they got the all clear from Thomas Tuchel that he wanted to join and therefore then they pushed the button. It wasn't, it was probably not that they timed it specifically after this game, regardless of what happened. I just think they probably got the information through and then thought, right, well, win, lose or draw, doesn't really matter that the information's come through that he wants to join so that we're going to push the button. But I, I spoke about it earlier. I don't know if you, um, we just kind of went over the question, boys, but where where does Frank Lampard go from here in terms of his management career? We probably expect him to have some some time off and not speak to anyone directly apart from his close you know, friends and work colleagues. I mean, for him, Jodie Morris, I mean, will there be a shake-up in the backroom staff? I mean, are we expecting Thomas Tuchel to do anything in the, the window that remains to be left? Are we expecting changes in formation and personnel? I mean, let's just get your insights into Frank Lampard's future and obviously those initial um, statements of intent from Thomas Tuchel? Yeah, so I think for Lampard next, it's, it's a difficult one really for me. I think, yes, he'll take some time out from the game, but I think he'll be desperate to to get back into it. It's just, I just don't, I'm just not sure, you know, where and when. I mean, would he get another Premier League job? It's, it's, it's difficult for me to say at this time. I'm not sure if he might benefit from perhaps maybe going abroad or, you know, dropping down a division or something just to get a bit more experience. But I think he'll definitely be back as a manager. But honestly, mate, I couldn't tell you when or where um, at, at, at this point in time. But in terms of in terms of Thomas Tuchel and, you know, like his inbox at the moment, you know, I think he's got I think he's got quite a few big decisions to make. Um, you know, you're looking at it and you think, yes, as we've said, Haberts and Werner, he's got to get something out of them. So maybe the point has come now where, Regardless of how poorly they've been playing, Tuchel is going to have to build the team around those two players and then fit in everyone else around them. Um, that's that would be sort of my line of thought uh, currently as to as to where he goes tactically. I think he'll be building around those two. Um, whether we'll see a change in formation, I would expect so because this formation has not got anything out of Havertz. I would expect us to go probably revert to the 4-2-3-1. It's what Tuchel enjoyed playing in Paris as well. So I would be, would be surprised if we didn't see that. But again, he's got some big decisions to make, you know. Like this, again, I know, George, you feel that Kepa is actually a better goalkeeper than Mendy, but this could be a op- opportunity for Kepa to come back in, you know. I think he's got a decision to make in, in goal, Kepa or Mendy. 
think he's got a decision to make at who partners Thiago Silva because obviously Kurt Zuma started really well. I was surprised when he dropped out and Rudiger went back in. So he's got a bit of a choice there between Zuma and Rudiger. I think we both know that we all know that, sorry, that Reese James is our long-term right back. But at the moment, he's not done that well recently. So will Tuchel sort of look for experience and defensive solidity in, in Aspilicueta? He's got a choice to make there. He's got choices to make in midfield, you know. Does he go Kante and, and Kovacic or whatever? Does he go Kante and Mount in that two if he decides to play a two? So there's choices to make there. And then there's choices to make, you know, in the in the uh, in the attacking positions as well. So it's like there's a lot for him to to get stuck into. So I'll be I'll be interested to see see to see what he does. I don't know what, what you think, James. Do you like think, you know, he's got some some big questions to answer, some tough decisions to make? Yeah, I think I think it's going to be interesting. I, I know Jody Morris has, has, has gone with Lampard. I think it'd be interesting to see if he keeps or if any of the other backroom staff stay. You know, maybe some of, um, you know, I think there's Joe Edwards who who, was, who has a link with the academy. I think Chris Jones, the other one who's with Lampard, has gone as well. But whether Joe Edwards and I think um, the other guy, uh, Barry, I think they're staying. And I think it'd be good to see that because, you know, while I, I understand, you know, I... I bet that Tuchel wants to do his things, you know, his own way. I think it's good to have, you know, like we used to have with Steve Holland, someone who is British, someone who has a connection with the club, has worked there for a while, maybe knows the academy. And maybe, you know, that will also help alleviate the fears of academy graduates and stuff like that. That there is someone in the backroom staff who's sort of rooting for them and who has the knowledge of of of, of those young players to help Tuchel. Because Tuchel's not going to come into the club and know who everyone is like Lampard did. You know, Lampard and Jody Morris knew inside out everyone from, you know, the younger teams up to the first team. So that'll be interesting to see what happens there. I think it'd be in Tuchel's best interest to keep one of them or, or two of them to, to maintain that link between the academy and, and, and the first team because there are obviously some really good players and I would like to see them still come through, you know, in the next few years if they're good enough. Um, I think it's all well and good, you know, promoting academy graduates, but only do it if they are good enough. And I think um, hopefully, hopefully he will. Um, and then, yeah, as you say, I think I think you're right. I think there is a few questions over, for example, keeper. I think he'll probably stick with Mendy. I think Kepper is again, despite the change of manager, I think his confidence in just being in England and in the Premier League is shot. Um, but then it will be interesting to see who pairs Thiago Silva. Um, you know, Tuchel obviously has a relationship with Silva from PSG, so I assume he'll be playing. Uh, but then Rudiger's German, so you don't know whether he'll choose him. I would go for Kurt Zuma personally. I think Rudiger has some nice distribution to him, but he sort of flaps around a bit. I think Kurt Zuma is more imposing physically. Uh, he's, he's more of a goal threat. Um, I, I, I think he's, he could be a really good player, you know, in, in the next few years with us. Um, and then I, I think the main question is, how does he get the best out of Werner and Havertz? Is he going to play Werner as a lone striker up top? Um, is he going to play Pulisic, Hudson-Doy, you know, Ziyech? Um, and then and then the midfield is probably the number one question is who does he play does he play Kante Mount Kovacic you know like like um, Lampard did or does he try and get Havertz in so that'd be really interesting to see what he does with the formation and 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 some of the players although I'm not sure we'll see much of it necessarily in the next few games because you know we've got Wolves on Wednesday I doubt he'll want to be changed too much before then but but we'll see and when you alluded to uh, you know, only promote academy players, you know, and keep them playing if they're good enough. Do you think that the current players that Lampard was was giving the chances are, you know, I'm speaking about 
the Reese James and the Mason Mounts and the Tammy Abrams. Do you do you think they are good enough to start in a in a Thomas Tuchel lineup, or do you think that he's going to pretty much make his own his own stance on things? I mean, I, I think I think I would personally I'd expect definitely a formational change at some point in the next coming games. Um, but in terms of those players that you're speaking about, that you know only play them if they're good enough. Do you think players like that, like Mason Mount, for example, was someone who was almost like Frank Lampard's right-hand man, you know, played every game, gave him the confidence, you know, gave him the armband, in fact, for the first time in that FA Cup game of the weekend. What what, what are your thoughts going on that one? Yeah, I think I think I think they are. I think like Reese James, even though he's maybe had a couple of poor games recently, like he's 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 a really top player. Like some of his crosses, you know, unbelievable and and defensively he's when he's at his best, he's 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 you know, he's almost like a bully. He's really imposing, he's physical, he's tough. Um, and then, you know, Hudson Odoi, you know, I don't think there would be teams like Bayern Munich, uh, you know, looking for him and trying to buy him if, if he wasn't good enough. And I've seen definitely in the past few weeks, um, you know, we've seen some of his talents and he's still a player that, that, that is quite raw, I think, um, in, in a lot of ways. And he's definitely not, he's the sort of player you imagine needs time to really see his full potential. I don't, necessarily agree with people who want to see him in the team week in week out I think he's a sort of slow burner in that way every time I see him play he's he is quite raw um and I think I think you know again Mount is an interesting one because I think he was one of the players especially in the last few weeks who gave 110% every single game and I thought I commended him for that and I thought he's the only one really in the past few weeks who can come out you know of those games thinking I try my best and I, you know, I put up a fight. I think a lot of other players lack desire, lack fight. And I think they should be, you know, held responsible as well. And they should take some sort of accountability, but he doesn't really contribute much in terms of goals and assists. And I think I was saying this to Charlie earlier. It's all, it's all well and good, you know, pressing and, and being high energy, but I didn't see enough of the other players doing it with him. And I didn't see a system where they all did it like Liverpool do. Like you see Mane, Salah, Firmino hunting down players, Wijnaldum, all these guys do it all together. And that's when it really works. Well, one player like Mount does it and the others sort of half do it. That's when it doesn't work. And I think he is he would be integral to a team if 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 Tuchel wants to go down that thing of hard pressing. And I think he he definitely should play if 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 that's the, the route he's gonna go down. But if he's if he's not gonna go down that route, then I'm not sure what else Mount really offers, because at the moment he's not offering much assists and goals um but i'd like to see him play i think i do think he's good enough and i do think he is um almost like a jordan henderson he's 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 got he's got chelsea in his in his blood and he wants to give um you know 110 percent every game and he might not be the best technically out on the pitch but um you know he's going to fight for you and i think we do need someone out there especially now um who's like that yeah it's a good point i mean charlie and i were having a bit of a debate uh, this morning with regards to Mason Mount and comparing him to Loftus-Cheek and, and Ross Barkley and actually looking at the numbers, very similar to William as well, where a lot of people kind of bigged him up in terms of his quality. But if you narrow down the numbers, maybe that actually he's lacking in areas that you'd expect a number eight or a number 10 to be doing a lot better in terms of goals and assists. I mean, my, I mean, my personal viewpoint on it is it, it's a bit, again, I think it's a bit unrealistic with his age. Uh, you know, and considering where he was two years ago, you know, he wasn't, you know, not even playing for Chelsea Football Club to then all of, all of a sudden be a starter, a regular. Um, and what he's done, you know, in terms of what he offers on the pitch, okay, maybe the goals and assists are lacking, but I mean, I can't name another number 10 or a number. I mean, look at Paul Pogba. Paul Pogba has been at, you know, Manchester United for three, four years and has only got 28 goals or something. So, and I mean, look but, at... But you, but you look at someone like Phil Foden, who's a similar age yeah. to Mason Mount. And 
and uh, you know they're, they're they're slightly different players. Phil Foden is is uh, you know is an incredible dribbler. I watched him you know the other night against Cheltenham. He went on this unbelievable run, and I've seen him in, in a lot of games this season. And he is someone who makes things happen. He's you know he's City's top goal scorer at the moment, and it might be unfair to to, to compare someone like Mason Mount. And there's always going to be, be players better than Mason Mount. But if you're going to be playing week in week out. Mm. like he does I do think you need to contribute a little bit more than just being high energy high press because at the end of the day is that is that really you know our, our, our midfield is sort of lacking in goals and assists and we do need someone in there who can chip in I know Charlie, um, yeah. Kante's not going to do that is he no I know Charlie's itching to get involved in this because he was he had a very heated um, stance on Mason Mount's ability um, in the club so uh, Charlie go on the floor is yours to have your rant about Mason Mount no, I was not necessarily a rant. Just I think, as as James has touched on, I think you know, um, talking about Tuchel before I go on to mountain stuff, um, Tuchel yeah. and these players. I think those players will get a chance. I think they'll get the rest of this season to show to Tuchel that they're good enough to be part of his plans and they can write themselves into his plan. Or he'll look at them and think there's probably some of them that he won't fancy, and that's and that's just the way it goes when when new managers come in. You know. Certain managers fancy fancy certain players and, and others don't, and that's just the way it is. But I mean, is Mason Mount good enough to play on a Thomas Tuchel team? Absolutely. Is Tammy Abraham? I'm jury's out on that one for me. You know, is Hudson Adoy? Yes, that these guys are are good enough, but they've obviously got to prove it. But yeah, moving on to the Mason Mount thing, I I I, I agree with James. I think look, he he works really hard. He gives 110 percent every game. You know, he's Chelsea through and through. But in a position he plays on the pitch. And the amount of minutes he plays, I know he's 22, okay, he's, he's, he's relatively young still, but he's played a lot of minutes. And particularly in that position, you know, I, I would just expect him to influence games a bit more, you know, chip in with more goals, more assists, just be a bit more of a driving force. You know, I know Phil Foden, as you mentioned, is not quite the same position, but it's, it's relatively similar. You look at players like J- uh, James Madison as well. Um, similar position, Jack Grealish, similar position. These guys, I know they're slightly different footballers, but they offer a lot more to their teams. And I would say Mason Mount offers to this team. So I'm by no means saying he's a poor player, doesn't deserve to play. But I think if he's going to really push on and establish himself under Thomas Tuchel, he's got to improve those numbers. Yeah, I mean, I just, yeah, I, I, I agree to disagree just because I think, uh, you know, we can't, we can't slate or, you know, criticise a player that's probably been the best performing player for us in this difficult period. Um, you know, and I look at other players. I mean, I know Kai Havertz has just joined, but he's joined for a, a, a big fee and a lot of expectation on his shoulders. And he's around the similar age. And he has, in my view, done absolutely nothing. So, I mean, I don't think we... I think it's a bit harsh to criticise Mason Mount's goal. I mean, it's almost a thing of the past, these, these midfielders who score... 20, 30 goals a season or even in double digits because I, I can't really name, I mean, apart from Fernandez, maybe, I can't really name someone who who performs on that basis in that number 10 role. I mean, yes, you've got players like De Bruyne, obviously, but they're a lot older for one and they're also playing in a better side. I mean, Manchester City, I mean, we, we touched on Phil Foden. I mean, an unreal talent for sure um, and doesn't get as much game time. So maybe there there is, there is some... Um, you know, I can agree with some parts, but I just think, you know, the reason why Lampard and Gerard, you know, they're, they're idolised is because they are they are freaks of nature when it comes to football s- statistics. I mean, we, we can't, they can't, everyone can't be a Frank Lampard and a Steven Gerrard in terms of goals, you know. So I think that has to be considered. It's very difficult because, 
in football and in sport in particular, all we tend to do is compare, um, you know, idols or legends or people that have been and gone. You know, anyone who wears the number seven shirt for Manchester United is instantly compared to Cristiano Ronaldo or David Beckham and what they're supposed to do. Um, you know, and that that's a heavy but uh, heavy um, thing to bear. But I just, you know. I think there are more issues at hand than Mason Mount's performances for Chelsea. But that kind of concludes, you know, the whole thing about Frank Lampard and Thomas Tuchel. Obviously, as, as Chelsea fans, I'm sure we all wish Frank Lampard the very best of luck in, in whatever his endeavours are going forward. Um, and I think James actually said off air as well that we we might even see him back at the bridge a second time around like we did with Jode when he's got a bit more experience. And I hope that is the case. I hope there, ha- there haven't been... Bridges burnt. I mean, Ra- Roman Abramovich made it quite clear in the statement that um, he's welcome at Stamford Bridge any time, and there's there's nothing that's been shattered in terms of his integrity and um, you know his image at the club. And I'm sure fans echo that um, across the world as well and share those thoughts. And um, yeah, we wish Frank Lampard the very best going forward. Uh, Charlie, you've got some questions lined up from fans that have been bringing them in. Uh, throughout the coming days. We probably would have had a lot more directed towards Frank Lampard had we had known what actually happened uh, this morning. But uh, you can fire away whenever you're ready with those ones. And we thank you for the questions again, guys. Yeah, of course. Yeah, thanks again, guys, for sending these questions in. Obviously, greatly appreciate it and enjoy finishing off the podcast by going through these. Um, Seeing as we've just been discussing, Chelsea, I might as well just go with this one first. Um, What are you expecting from the next five matches um we've got Wolves at home Burnley home Spurs away Sheffield United away and then Barnsley away in the FA Cup if we're what are you what are you boys expecting from the next five games I'll take that one first briefly I think from the next four league games I think we've got to be getting three wins I think we've got to beat Wolves and Burnley at home and we've got to beat Sheffield United away the Spurs game is debatable and I think we've got to be winning the FA Cup. So for me, it's got to be four wins out of five in those. I'll come to you now, James. What what, what do you think for those five games? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I'd say the Tottenham one is almost the one that I'd like to win the most. We haven't beaten a team above us, I don't think yet, um, or you know, in the classic sort of top six sort of big teams. And I'd like to see us actually, you know, we might not win it, but to put up a fight and to put up a really good performance. So that's what I'm looking for in the next five games and obviously the others to win as well and, and to get through to the next round of the FA Cup. George, what are your thoughts? Uh, listen, I expect a, I definitely expect a bounce as most managers think. So I think an improvement definitely in energy and performance. Whether we get the right results, it remains to be seen because I still think as much as the manager will have a, a bounce on these, you know, these players, I still think we are below par in terms of quality compared to other teams. I mean, I look at that, probably expect a win against Wolves, but it's not guaranteed. I mean, uh, there's some difficult fixtures in there. And I mean, when we spoke earlier about the Champions League progress as well, you know, Atletico are looking very, very hot at the moment. And I still think we're below par in terms of meeting the standards required to beat some of those oppositions. So, again, like I said, you know, in, in episodes been and gone, my expectations of Chelsea have changed slightly. So I'm not expecting a huge dramatic change in results. But I expect at least an improvement in performance. And even if not that, I expect changes in personnel and, and a formational change where he puts a stance on early on. Um, of what he's trying to achieve but it will take it will take time um yeah that's that's my initial thoughts on that one fair moving on um one to do with the january transfer window here lads should delhi ali join psg on loan this window james your thoughts 
Definitely, definitely. I mean, he's not going to get any more game time. Well, not much game time under Mourinho. I think Mourinho is sort of um, giving him his chance. And, you know, there was kind of illuminating um, sort of conversations between him and and uh, Deli Ali on on the All or Nothing documentary about him being a you know a, a bit of a, a crap trainer um, and and I think Mourinho obviously got a bit fed up and thought well I've got other players here and and Dombele and stuff that can do exactly the same job for me but work harder and I don't think Deli Ali fits into he's a bit like a Havertz he, he sort of you don't really know his best position and maybe. Maybe that's a problem we're going to have to contend with in a few years as well. Like Deli Ali, sort of floats around, and there's no doubt that he's a good player, but I'm not sure where his best position is. So, and you know, I think he has a relationship with Poch, so he should definitely go to some PSG and see if he can resurrect some of his career. And it'd be good to see him do well because obviously England have got the Euros this summer, so I'd like to see you know um, English players do well and and especially the creative ones as well because we've always sort of lack that and it's good to see you know Phil Foden and Madison and Grealish like we talked about earlier doing well at the moment George your thoughts Ali to PSG yeah I kind of echo what James said there I mean his relationship with Poch it, it seems to suit well he definitely needs football you know I think that the the you know the internationals and the Euros is a really important point because everyone's just kind of searching for first team football wherever they can get it and um, I think PSG will be a good suit for him because it's you know he's joining a side that pretty much blitz most teams in that league playing with confidence. Um, you know, they seem to be on a bounce after Potts already won a cup there, which is, <laughs> you know, it didn't take him long to get off the mark, did it? So uh, I think he'll embrace that. And I think it's, it suits all parties really, because I don't think they'll want to lose Deli Alli on a permanent transfer because we've seen what he can do at the very highest. And I am I am surprised that he, he hasn't, um, you know, influenced Mourinho's starting lineup as much as I, but He's not really a Mourinho-type player, is he, in the sense that he's a bit of a, a free runner and doesn't like to do the kind of groundwork. He likes those kind of rough uh, rough and ready players, you know, uh, you know, the players like Matic, Sissoko and Domblé, you know, those players who really put in the, the, the hard yards. So, yeah, I think it suits all parties, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'd agree. I think, you know, he's he's not getting many minutes at Spurs, or if any at all. So I think he needs to go out and play some football, as you boys both touched on, you know, Euros coming up. If he can get some a run of form together for six months, then there's an outside chance he might be able to make the squad again. So, a Deli Ali playing well is only positive for England. Um, in terms of PSG, yeah, good relationship with with Poch. You know, a chance to play Champions League football, new league, play with some world class players. My only concern would be where he'd actually play in the team and how many minutes he would get. But I think he, I think he should definitely go for it because he'd certainly get more minutes than he's getting at Spurs at the moment. Okay, next one then, lads. Obviously, Tamori has joined AC Milan on loan. Is this a good move, James? Uh, I would have said yes if it had been only a loan. But this whole buy option sort of um, kind of worries me a little bit. I feel like we might be jumping the gun in terms of uh, potentially selling him. I think he's better than Christensen. I think um, obviously he probably had a bit more of a long-term future than, than Rudiger had at the club. Um, and Thiago Silva is really probably only going to be, you know, starting every game for us or for for this season. So I would have liked to have seen him stay and see what he can do. And I, I you know, every time I saw him, I, I was always impressed with him. He's he's pacey. Um, he was good with the ball. He's he's physical. Um, you know, and he's still young. So obviously, I hope he does well at AC Milan. But if he does, then I hope that they don't have the money to to buy him because um, I think it would be a bit of a loss. And again. Um, Maybe we'd jump in. We'd be jumping the gun like we did with uh, Mo Salah and 
and De Bruyne and all those players. I'd, I'd like to see him come back if possible. George Tomori? Yeah, I mean, it's good for him. I think it's it's a bit of a shame for the club and I'm surprised considering the amount of defensive problems we had that we were leaking goals left, right and centre with all the types of, you know, attempts at the back four that we made that he didn't actually get some sort of a start or say in in the back four at some stage in the season. I was surprised, particularly how he was quite influential at the start of last season. Um, so... Listen, it's good for him uh, that he's going to get some first-team football and it's good for his development in terms of playing abroad and getting a new culture and possibly taking on another language. I think that's that. those are all, you know, they tick all the boxes. But I, I am, I, I, I share uh, James's comments with, I am surprised if the, the, the purchase option, if it is available, I think that's a bit of a an odd one considering, you know, he was bigged up by Frank Lampard about having a huge future at Chelsea Football Club and yet, he wasn't featured at all by Frank this season. And then he's been shipped out with a potential that AC Milan, if he does well, can buy him. So, yeah, I'm a bit on the fence with that one, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you, boys. I, I find it not. I find it a bit of a lose-lose situation for us because, you know, if he goes on loan and does well, then AC Milan are going to activate the buy option on him and we're going to lose a good player. The only way I can see it working well for us is if he goes there and it doesn't work out for him and they don't buy him. But then the whole point of him going there is to get experience and get minutes and to improve as a footballer. So the whole structure of the deal to me is a little bit odd. So we just have to kind of hope that Milan don't take up that option on him. But I suppose if he if he does well, then they're obviously going to take that option up. So yeah, it's a, the structure of the deal is, is, a, is a strange one for me. Right, moving on then, lads. Who do you think will win the FA Cup? James? Uh, that's a tough one. Um, obviously, I hope it's Chelsea because we always do, no matter um, who the manager is, we always seem to do quite well in the FA Cup. Um, and obviously, one of the bigger teams went out last night with Liverpool going out. Um, but I think, yeah, if I had to put money on it, I'd go City uh, just because they seem to be the informed team and they do really well in the League Cup. But... Um, uh, my heart is going to say that it will be uh, Chelsea in the final and we'll win it. Maybe that's a bit optimistic though. George? Yeah, I mean, if you go on, on the, the history, we tend to always, when we do this and sack a manager, we tend to always end up with a trophy somewhere or another. And realistically, the only trophy that I can see us winning is is the FA Cup. And listen, we've had a good um, bit of luck so far of not playing any Premier League opposition. That continues as we've got Barnsley in the next round. Uh, yeah, and obviously Liverpool going out. I think I share that probably Man City are the ones that you always got to look out for considering that they're, well, they're so good in the League Cup, but the FA Cup as well. I mean, they've just got such strength and depth there. So I would probably expect a Chelsea City final and um, I don't know, probably I'd just edge um, City, but I'll be optimistic and I'll, I hope that Chelsea get to another final and this time we can um, put what was wrong last time in losing to Arsenal and put it right. Yeah, I agree with you boys. You know, I think um, City are obviously probably the favourites. Great record in domestic cup competitions, massive strength and depth in the squad. But I do think that, you know, we've got a, we've got a big chance in the FA Cup. As you said, we've, avoid, we've had a very favourable draw in uh, rounds three and four, and that continues into the fifth round um, with Barnsley. And I think we've got every chance of doing well in this. Um, but I'd agree with you, City. I also think another one to look out for, lads, is potentially Leicester. I think they've got the ability to do to do very well in the FA Cup um, this season as well. And, you know, they've got Brighton at the King Power in the next round, which they should get through. So I think 
they shouldn't be discounted either. Right then, next one, lads. Uh, will not signing a centre-back in this window cost Liverpool the league? James? Um, I don't know if it's just the centre-back problems that, um, that Liverpool are facing this season. I think I think they've got a bit of a lack of depth in all areas of the pitch. I think if any of the front three get injured um, or, or aren't playing well, then they haven't really got anyone on the bench. I know Jota had a really good start, but obviously he's injured now. But you bring on players like Shakiri and Divock Origi, and they're not really players that can really emulate, um, you know, Salah, Mane, and Firmino. And I think um, I don't think a defensive um, acquisition is necessarily going to solve their problems. They're probably suffering from a bit of burnout as well. Klopp, you know, tends to run his players into the ground um, with with their fitness levels, and they're probably suffering from a bit of that too. So. While Van Dijk is probably a big miss of them, and I I can't see them winning the league this season, um, I think I think there's there's probably room in the summer to make a few more wholesale changes and to go through another sort of um, kind of evolution in the club. You know, players like Ronaldo and Henderson are getting getting a bit older, and um, yeah, I think I think they need the summer to sort of strengthen in a few areas rather than just a quick fix in uh, in centre defence in in the January transfer window. George, thoughts on Liverpool not signing a centre-half? Yeah, I think, I mean, they had this conversation before they signed Virgil van Dijk and people were asking him to act, you know, immediately and he waited patiently to get the man that he wanted and I think that's that's a trend that Klopp tends to do. I think he's he's a patient man and would rather get the right player and miss out on a window and maybe even sacrifice the results to then get the player he wants. The other question is, you know... Who's really out there that's available? I don't know who Klopp's looking at. I mean, um, there's been talks of possibly Skriniar or someone of that calibre, but there aren't a lot of centre-halves available at this present time that Liverpool can really get. And I don't think they could have envisaged what's happened either. I mean, let's face it. I mean, if Van Dijk, you know, okay, if he misses a couple of weeks, that's fine. But they've had some players that have missed some, you know, got some serious knocks that are out for long term. And I think that that sometimes that you just can't predict it and it just it happens and unfortunately I think that's what's costing them at the moment the fact that they're having to literally go to the last resorts uh, we spoke about it didn't we Charlie I mean very similar to Chelsea when we were going for three titles on the bounce with Jose and we lost you know JT got concussed in the final and we lost both keepers with concussion and we, we just had to you know we had to basically just make it up and play midfielders at centre half and right backs coming in and playing you know in centre half like Ferreira had to do us a few times so yeah I think has it cost them? No, I wouldn't say that not acting in the transfer window has cost them. I just think the the circumstances, just basically freak accidents have cost them really. But he will, when he finds his man and he's found his target man, he will go for him, no doubt. Yeah, no, I do agree with you boys. But what I will say is I think, you know, not necessarily getting a top, top draw centre-half in, but, you know, at the moment, yesterday they played uh, that centre-half, can't remember his name now. He was playing non-league football last season. So, yes, I know you can't, compensate for you know losing your two first choice center halves for a whole season that's just bang unlucky but what I will say is I think they probably should have gone into the this window they should have gone in and looked at getting an experienced center half in maybe on loan or on a on a six-month contract or something like that just to tighten things up at the back a little bit but you know we'll wait and see I'm sure they'll get someone in the summer and 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 they'll go again but I think this might be the end of that first cycle for Klopp because you look at it they got to the Champions League final that season. Then the next season, they won the Champions League. And then the next season, they won the league. 
So I've been going at it three years now, like solid. So there's obviously going to be a drop-off. And I think this is that drop-off for them. Um, next one then, boys. Oh, this is, well, this is an interesting one. Uh, thoughts on what is going wrong at Newcastle? So kind of as compact as possible. James, what do you think is going wrong at Newcastle? <laughs> yeah, because I have a really good mate who's a Newcastle fan. So I'm, you know, I talk to him regularly about it. And... I think the main problem, as has been for the past few years, is 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 Mike Ashley. I think there isn't really can't be much blame put on Steve Bruce at the moment. There can't be much blame put on 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 the players or anything like that. You know, they've got a really great stadium. They've got a really great footballing community in Newcastle, and they need an owner who wants to pump money into the club and take them back up. You know, near the top of the Premier League. I think Mike Ashley is not going to do that, and he needs to sell sooner rather than later, or someone needs to buy sooner rather than later. Because um, he seems to be willing to sell, um, and I think yeah, that's their main problem. Once they get rid of him, and once they get someone a bit more ambitious and who's ready to sort of fight for the club and take more of an interest, then I think um, they could be really big again. George Newcastle. Yeah, I mean it's such a shame, isn't it? Because I was, I was funnily enough, I was watching um, a thing last night in Alan Shearer and how he, you know, the, the whole town just breathes football. Very different to London, where you know a lot of other things and people visit London for different reasons. I mean, up there, it's literally just they're all football mad, and it's the kind of the central hub of their community. And they have got, they are a big club status, and it's just a shame that they, you know, from the having the idols and the legends like Alan Shearer and. You know, coming close in that you know that run where they lost out to Liverpool, um, it's just a, it's just such a shame, really, that you know it's come to this. And I, I completely agree with the owner point of view. I think that he's just toxic. I mean, he's just not willing to back the club, so they're not going to make any progress if he's not prepared to put some money in the kitty for them to go out and spend and to actually build a football club that's going to go strides in the Premier League. All he's con- concerned about is staying in the Premier League to keep ticking away. His his yearly profits and those those ticket sales. I mean, that's all that's all he's concerned about. So, um, I don't think Steve Bruce is the right man for the job either. I think he's a bit of a dinosaur in his approach. Um, you know, I've watched them countless times this season, and I I would never back them to win a game of football. They're, they're boring to watch. Um, absolutely clueless at time in terms of game management. So. Uh, I think they did. I think they did it. it. It was either this season or last season. It seems so long ago when they were winning against Manchester United, and they just, I just, I watched the last ten minutes, and they they ended up losing like four one or something. They just completely fell apart. So um, yeah, I think they've got to get rid of the owner. But whether that's going to happen, I mean, the, the amount of rumours that they've had on takeovers throughout the years has just been laughable, and nothing's changed. So I don't expect anything to change anytime soon either. Yeah, no, I echo what you boys have said. I think until the ownership changes hands. Newcastle are just going to be just a nothing club. They just don't do anything, you know. They just kind of stay up. They do nothing in the cups, and that's about it, really. So, yeah, I agree. A new owner needs to come in. Probably need new manager. They need to get better players because Newcastle fans deserve that. It's a massive football club. It's football mad, the area. And the Premier League will be better for a strong Newcastle. I know I, for one, was getting excited, you know, in the first lockdown when there were those rumours of that Saudi takeover and it was getting close. They were going to have millions and millions to spend and Pochettino was going to come in. You're thinking, great, Newcastle are going to, you know, be a force in the Premier League again. And that just fell flat. But I think that's what we need in the Premier League. We need a a strong Newcastle United because the, the people in Newcastle deserve it. And I think the league deserves it as well. Right, last two lads, then we're done. Um, obviously, with the news that Kevin De Bruyne is out for four to five weeks and Jamie Vardy is going to miss a few weeks, how do you think City and Leicester will cope without 
their key men. James? I think, obviously, for both clubs, it's, it's a big blow because both really important players. But I think it will have, the loss of Vardy will affect Leicester more than the loss of De Bruyne will affect um, uh, City. You know, City have got number of, of good players um, to fill in in various positions. And although he's he's definitely their best player, you know, I'm looking at someone like Phil Foden now who's who's right on form, scoring goals, assisting, you know, much in the same way that, that De Bruyne does. Um, and, you know, they've got Bernardo Silva and, and all these guys. Um, and then, but then you've got someone, you know, someone like Vardy at, at, at Leicester and he's, he's really the sort of, you know, he's the main target man that they've had for the last few years and they don't really have anyone as a backup. I saw they played uh, Iosi Perez last night. They have Iheanacho on the bench, but there's no one, you know, like Vardy and he really completes their team for, 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 for Leicester. And I think um, they, you know, while they've been on a really good run of form and different players have chipped in with goals, I think they're going to, they're going to struggle without him for a few weeks. Um, I mean, I don't know their fixture list. I don't know. I don't know if, if it's tough or, or easy, but I think out of those two teams, they're they're going to be um, they're going to be harder hit by by the loss of Vardy than City are with De Bruyne. George, thoughts? Yeah, hundred percent. We seem to be agreeing on every question, but it's 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 definitely going to affect Leicester City more just because of the whole you know that that whole notion that City have that that quality and depth, don't they? I mean, they can just replace him with you know another world class international footballer. So as much as Kevin De Bruyne has in terms of his ability on the pitch and what he gives Manchester City it's certainly going to affect Leicester more losing someone like Jamie Vardy their tallies man to start with I mean you know City are still missing Aguero and they don't seem to be having too much trouble keeping up the pace um, and I, I dread to think what they would be if they had Aguero at the moment where they would be at the moment but yeah I think definitely Leicester City are going to be hit harder um, because they just don't have that that replacement that's of the same quality as, as Jamie Vardy unfortunately for them yeah, I don't think there's anything I can really add to that uh, other than what you boys have said. So uh, mo- moving on then. Last one, lads. This will re- require us to think a little bit, but it's, it's quite a good one. If the Euro, if the first game of the Euros was tomorrow, what would your England starting lineup be? James? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Um, so in goal, I'd go, uh, I'd go Nick Pope. I mean, we're not blessed with with goal, great goalies at the moment, but he seems to be the one most informed and the most um, most consistent. Uh, I don't trust Pickford um, whatsoever, so I go Pope uh, right back. I'd obviously go uh, Alexander Arnold uh, left back. I'd go Chilwell. I know Shaw's playing well at the moment. We'll see how that sort of develops over the season, but I'd still go Chilwell centre back. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess Harry Maguire. And probably John Stones. John Stones has been really good this season, which has been really surprising because no one would have said that at the start of the season that he might be in the Euros. Um, I think that's pretty solid back five there. And then uh, depending on who's fit, I'd go uh, probably Henderson again. Um, and then I'd look at... I mean, again, depends what formation you go with. But if I was going to go 4-3-3, I'd go Henderson, uh, maybe a Mount and... It's tough to know who else would go in the three. You could have someone maybe like a Grealish or a Madison or something like that, or or maybe a bit more bullish like a Dyer or or whatever. So I'm not sure on that one just yet. But then front three's got to be Kane, uh, then either a mix of Sancho Sterling or or Rashford Sterling or something like that. I don't know how well Sancho's doing at the moment. 
the season at um at Dortmund um but again Phil Foden could easily fit in there as well you know either in the midfielder on the wing so that's a tough one but it's got to be Kane up front and then I'd probably push comes to shove I'd play Sterling and and Sancho and then maybe Foden actually in the 4-3-3 that's a bit of attacking though so I'm not sure George uh, yeah it probably depends what our first game in the Euros is I mean I I agree with I think I'd probably have uh, depending on how he gets on, I'd probably have Henderson in goal, but then I don't, he's probably not getting enough football um, behind De Gea, so I don't know, but I like I like how he looks um, when he does play. Um, yeah, I, I agree with the Pickford thing. I don't I don't trust him at all. He's a good shot, shot stopper, but um, there are hairy moments with him that I just, it's nerve wracking to watch. So I'd probably go with Henderson. I've, I agree with probably, Arnold, I'd probably play Shaw just ahead of Chilwell at the moment, but then I do I completely understand why Chilwell would be a better option. Um, even Maguire, I question at the moment because he, he see. I think we had we had this conversation with Dave, didn't we, about the, the you know do they complement each other well last episode? And definitely, I think Stones is nailed on. But whether you kind of need that bullish kind of every Maguire might play better with Stones because he can kind of use, be a sweeper and just clear up and play. But he's a very, he's quite basic defender, isn't he? I watched him all the time. He seems quite, he doesn't seem very comfortable with his feet and plays the long balls and, you know, he does all the dirty work. He's very effective at set plays as well. So you probably have to play him. But I don't know who else you'd have in there. Possibly, I don't know, if I was being outrageous, maybe like a, a a dunk or something like from Brighton. I don't. Know. Michael Keane as well has been playing quite well for Everton. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I don't know if I would trust a Michael Keane Stones yeah. um, centre back partnership. I think you've got to go with someone the experience with Maguire. I think, Mings? as you say, he does the dirty work. Mings, maybe. I don't know. Um, mm, bit too young, maybe. A bit too inexperienced. Midfield, you'd probably say yes. Henderson, Grealish. I mean, I'm just reeling off names. I don't really know what formation. I mean, if I again, if I was being outrageous, I'm not saying that this would be my pick. But if I had to pick someone different, just because you've suggested Kane, I'd say it on forms maybe Danny, Danny Ings needs to get a shout. Certainly in the squad, um, you could play a two um, because Rashford out wide. I just don't know if it works. So again, I think Grealish is pretty much nailed on. Um, who else could maybe make? A case, I don't know. I'd love to see Jamie Vardy come out of retirement and come back just to be a part of the squad, but whether he will or not, I mean, Madison, again, you'd probably say is in there. So that's a tough one, Charlie. You'll probably have to fill in the blanks for me there because I'm not sure what uh, England's best system is, really. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one, lads. You know, as you boys have just reeled off, there's a lot of names there. There's a lot of competition for places. And, you know, it's it's hard on players missing out. I think I'd probably agree with James. I think currently Nick Pope is is the most consistent goalkeeper. I mean, I'm not, I don't rate, rate Pickford and I don't think Henderson plays enough minutes. I'd, I'd have him in the sticks. I agree with the centre-half pairing. I think, you know, yes, Michael Keane's playing well. Yes, Mings is playing well. And Connor Cody's playing well at Wolves as well. But if we're going with the back four, I just think it'll be John Stones on current form and then probably Maguire as well, just for his experience, you know, last World Cup, etc. Left back, I'll probably just give it to Chilwell because I just think he offers a little bit more, but admittedly Shaw is playing well, so I could see him playing. And we're going with a three in the middle. I think Henderson obviously plays. And then this is where it starts getting tough because you go Henderson and Rice and then have like one slightly more attacking player like perhaps Henderson, Rice and then Grealish. 
But then obviously, is Mount going to play? So yeah, you know, it, it, it's difficult in there. But if I if, if it was me picking it, I'd have Jordan Henderson, um, Jack Grealish in there, and Mason Mount. I know that's quite attacking, but that's kind of what I'd go with. And then the front three, I think Kane obviously starts at centre forward. But then you've got options out wide. You know, looking at Phil Foden, Jaden Sancho. Um, you know, Madison in the team. I, I'm a big fan of his, but I don't, I don't think he's start for England. So I'd probably say, for me, I'd go with Sterling and Sancho. I just don't think Rashford's done enough in an England shirt. But yeah, I mean, it's exciting times and I'm not going to get ahead of myself, as, as we all know. But, you know, there's just going through it now, we've got a lot of options and a lot of talented boys. So we just kind of have to hope that we can get it to all come together. But yeah, would, that- you say, would you say Foden is better than Grealish and Madison? I know, I know he's younger, and I know he hasn't had as much time. But I feel like he has the potential to be better. And I feel like every time I watch him, he does look a better player. And look, you know, props to to Madison and Grealish. They're they're really good players as well. I think Grealish is probably the better one out of those two in terms of Madison and and him. But Foden, I know he plays for City, so it's it's, it's easier to say. And Grealish is at Villa, and he's doing really well there. But Foden over Grealish. That would be my pick in, in that midfield three if you did have Rice and, and Henderson there or, or, or Mount or whatever. Well, yeah, I think it highlights, lads, that we've got a lot of options in there and a lot of talented players. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, how Southgate fits them all together and, you know, how they actually do as a team. But, you know, it's, it's certainly one of the most exciting group groups of young players we've had in, in a long time, just going through those lineups there. So, again, look, look forward to the Euros in the summer and to see to see how we get on. But yeah, that, that concludes the questions, lads. So George, anything you want to finish up with? Well, I just wanted to finish up just ending that very quickly. I mean, we probably think that this is probably Gareth Southgate's last crack um, at a major tournament. What, what what do we feel about his chances and what, what what are we expecting? I mean, if he's going to keep his job past the Euros, I mean, what, what are we expecting? Are we expecting another semi-final repeat, go on to win it? I mean, what very quickly, boys, but I mean, Oh, I think it's got to be semi-finals minimum for me. Yeah, I think I think that's probably the same with me as well. As uh, you know, just going off the last question, <laughs> reading out all those players. I mean, I know some of them are young and whatever, but we've got probably one of the best front three out of all the European teams. You know, maybe not France or, or something like that, but that starting three of Kane, Sterling, Sancho, or even if you put you know Foden in there or or Rashford or whatever, you know, that's one of the top three. And with that, you've got to say that, you know, we've got to be getting to the semis. Um, and I think I think we have a good chance to. And I think Southgate did it in, in the World Cup with a less good squad. And we've got a better squad this time. So you'd hope that um, semis or, or final would be um, a realistic um, objective for, for this summer. And who knows, boys, after Southgate's gone, maybe uh, the next position of Frank Lampard might be England manager. Who knows? Um, well, that Love concludes another episode uh, of the Blues Brothers podcast. I'm sorry, boys, that we weren't able to talk on more positive circumstances today, but we, um, I really appreciate, first of all, James, uh, for coming on on such short notice um, to discuss everything that's been happening in the past 24 hours at the club. Um, also, just some you know, housekeeping rules, as always. Thank you very much for all the listeners. Um, as you all know, we're now on Spotify. We're on iTunes. Um, we can actually monitor the amount of people that listen and, and, and view the episode. So we really do appreciate the support. Keep giving us your comments. Keep giving us your questions. We love it. Uh, we do this for fun. We don't do this for anything else. So uh, we really appreciate it. 
Um, and thank you very much, boys, for your input today. I've, you know, I'm sorry that it's been on sad circumstances, but um, yeah, I think from from me, that's that's good night on another and a full time on another episode of the Blues Brothers podcast. So thank you from me, um, thank you from Charlie, and uh, thank you from James as well. Yeah, pleasure, pleasure being on again, and uh, I look forward to being back next time. As you say, hopefully in under better circumstances, um, maybe end of the season and we'll be in the top four and, and won a cup or something. Really enjoyed that one, lads. So th- thanks for that. 